A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Everyone, before we jump into season three, we want to tell you about this year's Don't Be a Dursley campaign. This is our fourth year doing a Don't Be a Dursley campaign. We have raised money with this amazing community in the past for Black Lives Matter. We've done a mutual aid fund, and we have raised money for Raices. And we have just always been bowled over by this incredible community and what we're able to do together. And this year, we're so excited because we are raising money for the incredible work that the Loveland Foundation does. Vanessa, I'm so proud that we are supporting the Loveland Foundation because they really show up for communities of color and especially for black women and girls. They do this by focusing on providing therapy for black women and girls. We're in the middle of a mental health crisis and therapy is difficult to access for everyone because it's expensive and it's hard to find a good therapist. But this mental health crisis doesn't land the same for everyone, especially people who are already vulnerable or who come from marginalized groups bear the burden of this mental health crisis in a particular way. This is why the work of the Loveland Foundation is so important and why we are so excited and proud to support their work this year. So we have donated $500. Every dollar that you donate makes a difference. If you donate $120, it covers one free therapy session, but really any amount helps. You can find out more by going to harrypottersacredtext.com. Our goal for this year is more modest than previous years because we know that it is a stressful time for everybody financially. And so our goal is $10,000 for the Loveland Foundation. And we would like to raise that money by March 14th. So please join us in this fundraiser. And at the end of the episode, if you stick around after the credits, you are going to hear the amazing wizard rock band, Harry and the Potters, sing a song that they wrote special for us called Don't Be a Dursley in honor of our annual fundraising campaigns. Thank you so much for joining us in this. And now we hope you enjoy season three. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 1, Owl Post. Harry Potter was a highly unusual boy in many ways. For one thing, he hated the summer holidays more than any other time of year. For another, he really wanted to do his homework. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Matt Potts. And this is Book 3 of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. I'm very excited, Matt. I'm very excited, too. This is book three. We've completed two books. If my math is correct, I think I've done 37 30-second recaps (laughs) because it's one for every chapter and then one for each whole book. So, yeah. Just a quick reminder for everyone before we jump into your opening story, which is that we have a really wonderful Patreon. And so 
If you want to join us there, we have monthly Lectio Divinas where we meet in Zoom and do a Lectio together. We have a book club where every quarter we pick a book together and read it. We have bonus conversations, extended bloopers, a lot of really fun stuff. So go to patreon.com slash Harry Potter Sacred Text if you're interested in joining us on Patreon. And if not, we are just glad that you're here. Well, Matt, it is your turn to tell us a story on the theme of inclusion. And as soon as you tell me the story, I will be included in it. So, Yeah, I'm a little bit worried of telling the story because I'm afraid our listeners are going to think I'm a very belligerent person. (laughs) I've told one story about how I got into a fight when I was a, a small boy. And I didn't get into a fight, but this is probably the closest I've gotten to being in a fight since that backyard altercation from my youth. And this was my first year of college. I went to college and I had a randomly assigned roommate. And that was fine. Uh, And my randomly assigned roommate was, I mean, he's actually a good guy. I I don't have any hard feelings towards him, even though there was, you know, like every college roommate, there was conflict. He was super, super proud Italian-American, right? And I I was here for that. It was fun to to have someone who had this like very strong cultural identity, whose relatives would show up with like food and treats and that kind of thing, right? His family refuses to celebrate St. Patrick's Day in March because St. Joseph's Day, Italy's patron, is just a couple days later. So like he would get out his St. Joseph's stuff instead of St. Patrick's stuff. And I went to Notre Dame where St. Patrick's Day is a thing. They're Irish Catholic there, right? And he was like, no, St. Joseph, the real the real saint. So he was very proud about being Italian-American. I, of course, am, am Japanese-American. And we were having, you know, one of those late night first year of college conversations. There were other people in the room. And I was talking about my Japanese identity and, and like what it meant to grow up Japanese in the Midwest and talking about, you know, I was I was in Navy ROTC at the time and just talking about sort of the kind of conflicted history of Japan and the United States. And my grandparents, my grandfathers served on opposing sides of World War II. And I just talked about how important it was for me to like claim that identity as Japanese American. Right. And I remember he was like, sorry, Potts, you got to pick a team, pick a team, Potts. Are you Japanese or are you American? Oh. Right. And it like this rage just surged up in me that that kind of surprised me. Um, And it's only in retrospect, looking back on it, that I realized it was partly, I think, because he was so proud of being Italian-American and didn't see any conflict there. But there was some kind of fundamental conflict between my kind of trying to embrace my Japanese ancestry while also claiming like a part of this country or a place in this country. Right. And I just, you know, I started shouting at him or whatever. And I think he was surprised. I think he was, he said it like half as a joke, but he kept arguing with me about it. So it was only half a joke. Right. And we didn't actually come anywhere near blows and we remained friends and decent roommates after this. But it's a story I want to tell about inclusion because I think inclusion is this really tricky concept, right? Because one of the things about inclusion is that it presumes the existence of difference, right? Like inclusion is not sameness. It's not you are the same as me. It's you're different from me, but you're also part of the community that we are going to share. Right. And so in inclusion, like how do you both recognize difference while not alienating and estranging? My roommate was recognizing through this probably not very wise or generous comment. He was recognizing a difference between me and him, but it was a difference that kept us apart rather than one that could be folded in. Right. And this is what I want to think about when I think about inclusion and what I'm hoping the book three will help us think about in this chapter is what are the sort of differences that we can recognize but do so as a gesture of inclusion rather than as a gesture of alienation or estrangement or or, or exclusion? Matt, thank you so much for sharing that story. I I think that's a really illuminative story about where the boundaries of inclusion are and how complicated it is. And also, I'm just really sorry that that happened to you, that my heart rate went up, that enrages me so much. I hate everything about <laughs> that incident. <laughs> I'm sure he's a very nice man, but what an ignorant, ignorant thing to say. Like, it, we, right, we were 18, and I, I think it was it was half a joke, right? But I think, and we were also 18-year-old boys, so I think when I got mad, he felt compelled to get mad and argue his point back. But, I still, right, I still remember it. And it, again, it just, it raises the question of, like, which differences are the ones that we can celebrate together and which differences are the ones that separate us from each other? That's the distinction between inclusion and exclusion. And that's what I want I want to think about. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that we include one another when we think about the 30-second recap because we're a team. We are a team. I'm so excited about the 30-second recap today. <laughs> well, I get to go first, so. Okay, I'm ready to count you in. Three, two, one, go. 
It's late at night and Harry is studying. He had to steal his books back from the Dursleys because they took it from him. This summer is better than other summers because Hedwig's allowed to fly and that's really nice. Ron tried to call Harry but yelled on the phone and so Vernon was like, don't call again. So Hermione, who's in France, doesn't call again, but it's Harry's birthday and he turns 13 and guess what? Three presents arrive, one from Ron, one from Hermione, and one from Hagrid and that's very sweet. And Hedwig went all the way to France just to bring back a present from Hermione and it is a Quidditch servicing kit. Okay, now I am nervous about the Thursday recap because you covered a lot of detail that I did not remember. <laughs> Maybe I'll just do the 30-second recap I was going to do before you reminded me of all the things that happened in this chapter. I think you should. Count me in. I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready to go. On your mark. Get set. Go. Okay, it's summer and Harry's doing his homework because it's a way for him to mentally escape the place that he is trapped and he and he's doing it and there's a lot of exposition in this chapter where we learn every, everything that happened in the first two chapters but three owls show up and they bear some gifts and letters and one's from uh, from ron and it's a sneakoscope and one's from hermione and it's a broom servicing kit and one's from hagrid and it's um uh, the monster book of Wall- monsters and there's a letter from uh professor mcgonagall that says maybe you can go to hogsmeade but really he won't be able to it's true that permission slip just there the is slip. I know. dangling hope. Uh, so, Matt, I think that this chapter is about, I don't know if it's an inclusion, but it's about a collapse of communities. His friendship with Ron and Hermione and Hagrid has finally been able to breach the walls of the Jersey's house of Privet Drive for the first time in this chapter. It's the first time he has a happy birthday. Hedwig is allowed in and out of the windows. Letters aren't being stopped and boarded up. He doesn't have to get rescued, right? It's the first time that there's some sort of like still a sieve, but like things are passing through from the magical world into the Dursleys. And I want to make the argument that it means that Harry is completely included in the wizarding world given that it can now touch him even when he is ensconced in, like, the capital of the muggle world, the capital being Vernon's house. I think that's a great reading, and I think that's right. And I think the comparison between, like, the Dursleys and Hogwarts or the wizarding community is is really right and apt. And also, like, just sort of shows how inclusion is not about place. It's actually about, like, a sense of belonging, right? Yeah. I mean, we talked in book two about how you know, someone like Filch is part of the Hogwarts community, but also just by by them not giving him a magical broom to help clean up is not fully included into the community in a real way, right? And, right. and we see this at the Dursley's house, right? Like, he's in the house, but th- this is not an inclusive community. The difference between him and them, his magical abilities, the fact that he's a wizard, absolutely estranges them from him, even though they live in the same house. Whereas he is not anywhere close to, I mean, Hermione's in France and the Weasleys are in Egypt and he feels m- closer to them, more included with them from that distance, just because of the sense of belonging that their letters and their gifts give to him. Right. So inclusion is not just about are we going to let people in? It's also about if we let them in, when we let them in, are we actually going to make them feel like they belong and that we care about them? Right. And yeah. And yeah. And I think in a lot of the, a lot of the ways in our world where people, even with good intentions, try to to be inclusive, they sometimes fail to ask the second question of what would it actually mean for the person we're trying to include to feel like they belong here, to feel like that they're cared for, right? And so inclusion is more just than just about like inviting people in. It's also about creating the conditions where that invitation feels really warm and caring. Yeah. And just like the, the actions that these friends of Harry's take, even like you think about Ron calling, he doesn't actually get through to Harry. Yeah. But just hearing Ron over the phone on the receiver across the room shouting and doing his best to learn how to speak through a muggle device, right? Even though it fails, like this is this obvious act of inclusion because again, like it's recognizing difference, right? Like, oh, he lives in a muggle house. I have to communicate with him a different way. That's okay. I'll try to communicate with him a different way and <laughs> yeah. maybe I'll look kind of stupid doing it, but right? And so even if, even though it's it's failed in some ways, they never actually talk, it is this act of inclusion. Like, they somehow brought a telephone into the house and like hooked up a telephone, right? Yeah. Like real They must have, you're right. Effort had to have gone into this, which I love because it speaks to the fact that like truly including people across difference is is hard. It's really hard. 
It takes some thought and effort at least, yeah. right? I mean, this is like, Ron probably talked to Arthur and Molly and they're like, oh, I guess we better find a phone someplace and bring a phone in. And I'm sure Arthur was loving it, right? Yeah, like his of course. excuse to, to Mo- <laughs> Molly, we have to get a phone. We got to get a muggle phone, <laughs> right? And it's also why like this idea of reaching across difference, right, is also why Hermione wins the gift giving competition, the unofficial gift giving competition <laughs> of the gifts that Harry received. You know, the other gifts are great. The sneak scope is great. Hagrid probably loses a little bit. The monster book of monsters, right? Like, is that right? That's obviously something Hagrid would like. <laughs> would Harry like it? But it. what's funny is that Harry thinks it's going to be a book from Hermione, yeah. right? And everything about Hermione would say like, oh, of course, I'm going to give him a book because she loves books and she sees the beauty of books. And so it's going to be e- most easy for her to recognize the beauty of a gift that is beautiful to her. And instead she gets him something that she would be completely uninterested in, but that she knows he would love, right? That is like, Oh, he's different from me. And that's great. And here's something he would love that that gift, again, is an act of inclusion, not because it says, oh, you and I can share interests because I can find a book that you would like too." instead. It's, oh, you would really love this thing. I don't know why, but you do. So here it is. Yep. <laughs> right. I completely agree with you that Hermione wins this competition. I do want to defend Hagrid, not because I, I don't think that this is a good birthday present at all. But this is the first time that Hagrid is being included in the wizarding community in an official way, right? He's been excluded from the magical world for the last 50 years for a crime he didn't commit, right? His wand was taken away from him. He's using it illegally. He is literally living on the margins of a school, like on the sort of border of the forbidden forest, the word forbidden being in there and Hogwarts grounds, right? Like he's been really intentionally excluded. He just went to prison uh, for no reason. And now he's been asked to be a professor, which, you know, we only find out later. And so he's just so excited to finally be included, right? His love of monsters is always something that's had to happen, like, on the margins. And now it gets to be part of the curriculum, you know? And so I just think that Hagrid is so excited because of this new inclusion. Yeah, I think that's right. And Hagrid is one of the most talented at including others in the books, right? Yeah. And so the fact that he... That, that he that Hermione wins this particular round, you know, you can't win them all. Yeah. Right. I mean, but but Hagrid does great most of the time. I just feel like, and this is also how inclusion goes both ways because I feel like Harry doesn't hold it against Hagrid that he gets a monster book of monsters because right. he knows Hagrid. He knows Hagrid's love for monsters. And he's just like, of course, this is the book that Hagrid would get from me. And and I love him for it. When you have this kind of reciprocal sense of celebrating our differences, then these things are it's it's all they're all wins. Yeah. I also want to make maybe a bold claim here, which is that Harry at the age of 13, which I think some people would argue is like, right, the end of a certain kind of childhood when you become a teenager is the first time that he actually gets sort of included in childhood. You know, the book remarks that it's the first time that he has felt celebrated on his birthday. And I think that that is one of the things that we think is beautiful about childhood, right? Is like the unabashed celebration of young people and their birthdays every year. And so it's almost like Harry in this tragic way is getting included in this experience of being a child right as he's leaving childhood that is very bittersweet to me, but I do love that he has this moment, right? There, One of the fun conversations I, that I have been lucky enough to be a part of in my life is like, you know, m- remembering with other people, like what you did for your birthday, right? Like my fifth birthday was a Shira Princess of Power themed birthday. And my mom <laughs> decorated me a Shira Princess of Power cake, right? And like talking about that. And this is the first time, like Harry has the story about Hagrid bringing him a cake, but now he has this story of just like his friend sending him presents and like getting regular birthday cards. Yep. And I'm glad he yeah. is included in that now. I agree. I, I think that there are other subtle ways that the text in this chapter indicates that there's, there's this shift going on with Harry, this shift of his kind of belonging and inclusion, right? When we did our wrap up for book one, we talked about how one of the arcs I saw with Harry was Harry finding his people, right? 
that meant learning some history of his family. It meant finding the wizarding community. It meant understanding his relationship to the Dursleys in a new way. One of the things that's really interesting about the beginning of book three is that in the first line, it says Harry Potter was a highly unusual boy in many ways, right? And it's just interesting to me that book one starts with this kind of reflection upon what's normal, right? And and you think about like that there's a difference between these two adjectives, between being unusual and being abnormal, right? Mm-hmm. And like the thing that's unusual, it seems like can be allowed in, is allowed to be part mm-hmm. of this community. But the thing that's abnormal, there's, there's something about the existence of norms that is almost definitionally implies some exclusion, right? You either are part of the norm or not part of the norm. Unusual means like less common, <laughs> right? But but still one of us. And just the fact that the language in the as the book begins is moving away from the the preoccupation with what's normal towards what's more typical or more more usual or whatever. It's just a very subtle but I think important suggestion that Harry's finding his people and that even the thing that he is doing now which looks unusual to some folks, the 13-year-old studying late in the middle of summer is actually a sign of his participation in a community that welcomes and receives and understands him. I love that point. And the Dursleys are also adjusting to Harry in this new position, right? I mean, two years ago, you know, they were going out in a storm and Dudley was concerned about the mental well-being of his father. And last year, Hedwig was locked in a cage and there were bars on the window, right? Like, the the Dursleys are also, to some extent, adjusting. Like, are, they're not adjusting quickly enough or intensely enough. But they are allowing him to move from abnormal to unusual, I think, in a way that I don't think deserves quite celebration, but is noticeable. You're right. There is an adjustment, which is clear. And which continues, you know, and every progressive summer that we see them, he's getting a little bit more space to be a little bit more who he is, even if, you know, Vernon is kicking and screaming yeah, all the way. I might have a modest defense of the Dursleys, not to defend their behaviors, which are obviously cruel and, and terrible, or maybe to a modest defense of Petunia, mm-hmm. maybe not Vernon, who seems to me to be less defensible. There's a line from the chapter where... You know, Rowling is giving some exposition and talking about trying to summarize in the first two books how difficult his life with the Dursleys has been. And we're inside Harry's head, so Harry's reflecting on it, I think. But if they kept, if the Dursleys kept Harry as downtrodden as possible, they would be able to squash the magic out of him. That line really struck me when I was reading this chapter. And it made me think of Petunia and Petunia having had her sister murdered by Voldemort. Right. And her sister's husband murdered by Voldemort and Harry, like almost having been murdered by Voldemort. Right. You know, we give them a hard time and I just did give them a hard time about their preoccupation with being normal. Right. But when you think about sort of this trauma that happened to to Petunia and and Petunia also had her sister taken away from her when her sister was 11 and went to this other school. I, I just there are emotional reasons why Petunia might be interested in in suppressing Harry's magic. I mean, she she does a bad job of it, right? And I don't think that she ought to do it. And making him miserable and being cruel is not a reason to do it. But there is so much fear in Petunia. I can understand her her fear a little bit. So it, I guess it's not a defense of any of their actions. I want to be clear. It's not a defense of any of their actions which are cruel and misguided. I guess maybe I just wanted to name something about that line, about what's really behind all the the terrible things they do to Harry is their fear of what might happen to him if he is magical, right? Like that's tragic and sad and wrong and misguided, but it's it's subtly changed my opinion, at least of Petunia. Yeah. I mean, it's also the fear of what he would do to them if he was fully magical. Yeah, that's true. Yep. I mean, I think that, you know, I've talked about this before. I Like the Dursleys have every reason to be afraid of magic. It killed Lily. It gave Dudley a pig's tail. It, right, like, it brought a flock of owls into their house. It, you know, there was a flying car that, like, busted part of their house open, right? And, you know, the Wizarding World, like, tried to include them in a, you know, not super thoughtful way. Just like in a, we're going to treat you the, the exact same way we treat every other child that gets into Hogwarts. Not realizing that maybe some like added diplomacy was needed in this house. And it went really poorly. And so 
I don't know. Like, again, we can see that Petunia has every right to be afraid. The feeling might be justified, but the actions are totally not justified, right? Yeah, I think that's right, Vanessa. And also just like, you can also see how, I mean, his difference, the, his magical ability frightens her because of her past history, right? The The question is, you know, based around this thing about inclusion we've been talking about, the challenge for her as the, you know, parental figure for this child should be to figure out how to make that difference something that she can celebrate rather than something that separates him from her, right? right. She's like, what she does, is she decides it cannot but separate him from me. So I must rip it out of him. I must make him the same as me, which is a muggle, so that he is no longer separate. Instead of saying, no, he's not a muggle. He's a wizard. Yeah. And that's just the fact of things. So how do we celebrate this difference and keep him safe with this difference, which obviously would be supporting him and sending him to Hogwarts, And <laughs> right? It is, again, about like recognizing a difference and understanding that difference as an opportunity to, to celebrate the other person rather than as a reason to be separated from or to to quash the difference in that other person. Yeah. And I mean, they are separating him, right? Like they, they lock his magic books in the cupboard under the stairs, but they also like don't include him in the charade of like looking at the beautiful car, right? Like they don't include them in muggle activities either, which is, you know, epitomized in that yep. sentence that you brought to us, right? That there is an intentionality to their making sure that he's downtrodden. I mean, that seems to be the, like, best expression of the most extreme form of exclusion, right? Not only are we not going to welcome you, but we are going to intentionally try to keep our foot on your neck so that you never get the idea that we might one day want to include you. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Matt, I want to point us to this other moment of inclusion, which is that Ron gets sort of re-entered into proper wizarding society by getting a functioning wand back. My problem with this is that it is belonging contingent upon money, right? Which I think is often the case, right? You don't feel like you fit in because you don't have the right clothes because you can't afford them. You can't go on a trip with everybody because you don't have the car, right? You can't like join the workforce in the way that you want to because you don't feel as though you can afford college, right? Because college is so expensive in the United States. And so I, I'm, like, so happy for Ron that he has this functioning wand. And also the school should have wands that kids can 
practice with and right like I'm glad that he found a way to be included again but this is a failure at Hogwarts or of the wizarding system that essentially your parents need to have a certain amount of wealth for you to get a proper education yeah and we see this going forward right there in the next book there are dress robes and this kind of tension of inclusion because Harry has access to all these things but also doesn't have sort of the insider knowledge that the Weasleys have, right? And so he feels alienated and excluded for for, for other reasons. That's part of the reason, I think, why these two are a good team, right? <laughs> why they why they pair up together well, because they both feel a little bit outside, but they also both feel inside and can be there for each other. But the Weasleys are exceptional at inclusion and Hogwarts is bad at yeah. it, right? The Weasley, Molly yes. Weasley yes. is going to be like, give me your money and I'll buy you dress robes, right? Like, don't worry about yep. it. Whereas Hogwarts is like, no money, yeah. no education. Sorry. Yeah. The, I mean, the letters, the summer letters from Hogwarts are shockingly short. Yes. I mean, these are not, these are not informative letters. No. <laughs> these are not, right? Like, this is not what families need to prepare for, for the fall term. This is, this is, this is not enough, Professor McGonagall. Like, add a few paragraphs about what Hogsmeade is like and what to expect. Well, and this is because they think that their community is already bounded, right? Right. 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 It feels like it was done intentionally and now is baked into the norms that have become invisible, right? It's like Hogwarts only wanted a certain kind of person to come and then eventually Helga got her way and more and more kids were allowed in. And now you have this problem of certain kids can't afford it and you like haven't thought of a solution for that, right? And so that's how we like yeah. get these half measures of someone being included on paper, but not actually being able to attend. And then there's this feeling of like, I don't know yeah. what to tell you, you're included on paper. There's nothing else that we can do here. And it's like, well, that's not nearly enough, right? And I think that all of that is embodied in this wand. <laughs> I like the way you describe it, where you say, you know, that there's more you can do, right? Because I don't think that, again, the idea of difference, like, I think it's, communities can build their own culture. They ought to build their own culture and invite people into that culture. But you can't also presume that people are already part of the culture when they arrive, right? You have to right. give them a way in, give them an on-ramp. Like, you can have quirky terminology or practices that people outside your community don't understand. As long as when people show up, you give them a way to understand. You help teach them and 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 show them where your culture and habits come from, right? And so it's not just right. about, again, it's not just saying like, we're going to be the same as everyone else. So everything is absolutely recognizable to you from day one. That's, that's if you want to build a culture, it's, you're going to have things that are different. It's making sure that as you build that culture, you give people a way in, especially people who don't have the kind of resources or access that you're presuming everyone has from within your community. Right. And part of that is dialogue with people who are excluded, right? Because you can't see right. yourself the ways that you're excluding people often. Or the people you hope to include who you can't understand. Right. Why they're not, why they don't feel welcome. Right. Vanessa, it's the first chapter of book three, and we are resuming a spiritual practice that I have not yet done with you. Yeah. So we are going to be doing Sacred Imagination, which, Matt, as I'm sure you know better than I do, is our version of the practice invented by St. Ignatius of Loyola, or at least codified by him. And he expressed a desire for us to really understand the, the nitty gritty, like visceral and bodily life of Christ. And that is the practice that we are emulating here. We are trying to get into the minds and bodies of these characters and see what we can understand about their spiritual lives or about their experiences by really trying to radically imagine ourselves into them. So Matt, I'm going to read you a section of the text. And I invite you to imagine yourself in the scene as if you are there and see what you notice. And so what we want to notice is not only what's in the text, but also what imagining ourselves into the scene makes us notice. You know, what is it like carpet beneath our feet? Is it also hot in the room? Is there like the sound of an ominous clock ticking as this is happening? 
Is Hedwig sleeping in the background? I hope she is. Okay, so I will read you the scene. Ron Weasley, who was one of Harry's best friends at Hogwarts, came from a whole family of wizards. This meant that he knew a lot of things Harry didn't, but had never used a telephone before. Most unluckily, it had been Uncle Vernon who had answered the call. Vernon Dursley speaking. Harry, who happened to be in the room at the time, froze as he heard Ron's voice answer. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? I want to talk to Harry Potter. Ron was yelling so loudly that Uncle Vernon jumped and held the receiver a foot away from his ear, staring at it with an expression of mingled fury and alarm. Who is this? He roared in the direction of the mouthpiece. Who are you? Ron Weasley. Ron bellowed back, as though he and Uncle Vernon were speaking from opposite ends of a football field. I'm a friend of Harry's from school. Uncle Vernon's small eyes swiveled around to Harry, who was rooted to the spot. There is no Harry Potter here, he roared, now holding the receiver at arm's length, as though frightened it might explode. I don't know what school you're talking about. Never contact me again. Don't you come near my family. He threw the receiver back onto the telephone as if dropping a poisonous spider. The fight that had followed had been one of the worst ever. So, Matt, what did you notice now that you were in the room? I'll be honest. I wanted to know what it smelled like in there. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I wanted to know what it smelled like in there. Mm -hmm. But that's not what came to me as I was listening. It was sounds and sights, right? So as the as the phone rings, it's summer. The windows were open. Mm-hmm. And I could hear a lawnmower. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think it's a weekend. Yep. I heard a lawnmower going next door. Not not at the Dursley's house, but like like that, those summer sounds, right? Like yeah. the kind of the outside midday summer sounds. And Vernon Dursley is wearing a collared shirt and shorts and dress socks. <laughs> like very kind of classic suburban dad outfit, right? When he When he answers the phone. And there's like, so there's like a relaxing sort of. It's summer weekend afternoon, which is right. And like something about that, that sort of this is supposed to be a relaxing day where everyone's kind of unwinding from the weekend. You hear the lawnmower next door. It's warm. And I like I imagine like some cold drinks on the table with some condensation on the outside. This is kind of the vibe I was getting yeah. when Vernon like gets enraged. Yeah, I, I mean, that makes sense to me because as we talked about earlier, this was an event in the Weasley house. So it's not necessarily something Arthur could do at the end of a long work day. But on a Saturday when there's a little bit of time, yeah. I can see that more happening. Yeah, I. the thing that occurred to me was that Aunt Petunia was washing dishes in the kitchen when the phone rang, which is why Vernon answered. And then as Vernon started yelling, she comes out sort of like with her you know, yellow gloves on and is like, what's happening? And is standing there yeah. and is just letting Vernon handle it and is simultaneously like proud of him for putting his foot down and scared. Hmm. Like, how long is this temper going to last? Like, has this ruined the whole night? Like, is this yeah, now yeah. the mood that he's going to be in? I was also curious where Dudley was. I can imagine him upstairs in his room playing a video game and then sort of like coming yep. to the top of the stairs and like sort of delighting in Harry getting yelled at. Because I agree with you. It felt like everyone was home and yep. it was sort of a a part of the day where Vernon could stop and fight with Harry. Yeah. I totally have Dudley upstairs playing yeah. a video game, right? I also think that part of all that stuff is the reason why Vernon gets enraged because what's more normal than playing video games on a summer day upstairs? What's more normal than people outside mowing the lawn and the birds tweeting outside? What's more normal than doing the dishes, right? It's just everyday stuff is the stuff that they want to celebrate, the completely predictable stuff. And then this call comes and cracks the veneer of all that normality or whatever. And I think you're right too, like to, to like dig just below the surface there, which is not just about why Vernon gets enraged, but also what does his rage mean for the rest of the family, right? right. Does it give joy to Dudley because he knows it'll never be visited upon him? Does it worry Petunia because she's like, oh, now the weekend's ruined? Yeah. Yeah. That's really perceptive. 
The other thing that I was wondering about is, is Vernon on edge because Harry happens to be in the room, right? We get the sense from this chapter Mm. that Harry is spending most of the summer upstairs, but Harry happens to be downstairs in this moment. So, right, he's going down for a glass of water or whatever, and there's this like, you know, when you're in a house with someone and you're sort of like sharing the house, but you're not happy with the other person. And so when you share space, you're like, hmm. For a minute, like Vernon is already in that headspace. He's already like annoyed because Harry has encroached upon his downstairs. And then this phone call. But it also speaks to the depths of Vernon's fear that he thinks that Ron threw the phone could have like somehow bewitched the phone, right? That this like completely muggle artifact has become infected merely from the fact that a, a wizard's voice was heard on it. Like, I, I wonder if they ended up replacing this phone. They're like, maybe they put a bug in it. And in their defense, like, they don't know what magic does. So. Yeah, I agree. I think there's something also about just like, they go to so many lengths to s- isolate him from his community. And this is like such a near miss. Yeah. Right? Like the, they Ron got so close this time. If Harry had picked up the phone first, he would have been talking to his friend. And what could be worse than that? Right? There's something about the, Getting so close, that makes him mad, too. Yeah, I mean, I think that, Matt, what this really brought to me was how tense this house is, right? That over the summer for for Vernon and Petunia, it's like this lovely time because Dudley's home, who isn't home during the school year. But, like, the mere existence of Harry ruins it for them, right? And this is totally self-inflicted misery on their part. But what should be this, like, lovely, quiet Saturday afternoon with like the sound of buzzing and, you know, clean dishes and iced tea instead has become so fraught and that they are just like their own victims in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, Matt, thanks so much for doing Sacred Imagination with me. That was so fun. Thanks for selecting such a great passage. I I thought it was great too. It was really illuminating. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason... You can't get back to Grimold Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Now is the time we share a voicemail from one of our listeners, and this week's voicemail is from Lois. Vanessa and Casper, I've just finished listening to the first book's worth of Sacred Readings and want to thank you for creating this podcast. It is wonderful. In your discussion of Chapter 13, you define hope as the place we go when all practical options are exhausted, a companion emotion to despair. I want to share a different definition of hope that comes from Charles 
Charles Richard Snyder that describes it as including three cognitive elements, an ability to set goals, an ability to strategize ways to achieve the goals, and to be able to set intention and have confidence to achieve them. Briefly, goals, pathways, and agency. In that context, everything about Hogwarts as an environment and Dumbledore as its headmaster are intentionally fostering hope in the students, and especially Ron, Hermione, and Harry. Each has doubts about their abilities when we meet them on the train for different reasons. And I think under that definition, the structure and support of the teachers, coupled with the unpredictability of things as simple as staircases, increasing exposure to adversity from riding brooms and making tricky potions to not getting kicked out for rule infractions, but instead being asked to help the gameskeeper with tasks that are dubiously suitable for students. All of this contributes to a learned belief in their abilities to overcome adversity and find new paths forward. I also think Dumbledore knows that Harry is going to have to face off against Voldemort if he regains his power and allows and encourages Harry to have small challenges. As headmaster, he would have to approve allowing a first year to play Quidditch and have a broom, and I bet he knew Hagrid had a dragon. Uh, he helps Harry build his confidence by giving him the cloak specifically so that he can do those things and protect him at the same time. And I think he may even have influenced or approved the teacher's choice of protections in the, uh, for the Philosopher's Stone, Sorcerer's Stone, uh, to play to the trio's strengths. And because they struggle and succeed, they build their ability to set goals, create pathways, and have agency. This allows them to hope. And as we see as the series progresses, this is a positive reinforcing cycle that allows them to continue to hope. Not because that's all that's left for them to do but because they keep finding new pathways and keep believing in their ability to try and influence the outcome. I wanted to share this definition of hope with you because for me, it rings true. Thank you again. Lois, thank you so much for this voicemail. It's really funny to think back on that (laughs) episode. I was so down on hope. I really believed that hope was false and that it was something that we fed to people rather than actually helping. And in these last five or six years, I've really come to have much more affection for hope. Specifically, the way that I now think about it is as just a belief that circumstances and people can change. Not that they necessarily will, but just a belief that they are able to. And I'm really grateful to this community because I feel like they heard me rail on hope and have spent the last several years, people like you, teaching me different ways to think about it and integrating it into my life. I think that my love of romance novels is about how hopeful they are. And so thank you so much for this wonderful voicemail. Yeah, thank you, Lois. I'm actually doing some writing on hope right now, and and I hadn't heard the definition you give. Uh, And so this is that's really illuminating and will help me think through some of the complexities and problems I I find when I think about hope. It is now time for us to honor members of our community who have been loved and lost. David Welker, who is 84, an artist, a cowboy, and a father. Jerry Porter, who is 76, a beloved father, listener, and who had warm smiles. Pat Foley, who was 68, a father, a grandfather, and a lover of beer steins and eagles. Davy, who was 15, a son, a warrior, and the best snuggler. Merle Foraker, who was a kind neighbor and a wonderful gardener. May their memories be a blessing to us all. Matt, it's time for our very first blessing of book three. Who would you like to bless? I'm going to bless Hermione. I already mentioned it in the episode, but it's such a great gift. I mean, I'm personally a person that tends to buy gifts for people that I want for myself. And so I recognize the talent and the skill and the grace and goodness of seeing something that someone else would want. You have to really like be inside someone else's head and know them. And she totally 
hits this one out of the park and it's great. So blessings to Hermione. Vanessa, who are you blessing? I'm blessing Mr. and Mrs. Weasley. They get this windfall of 500 galleons from the Daily Prophets, like, draw. And I can imagine them doing any number of things with this money, right? This is a poor family, you know, saving it for any number of things. And instead, they go on a big family vacation. And I I just love it. They visit their son. They, you know, Ginny has just had this huge trauma. And they are creating a lot of fun and joy and a, a shared memory before Percy graduates and goes off. In this picture, Ron has his arm around his sister, right? Like. I think that we have an expectation of people who are struggling financially should only spend money on the essentials and should be saving and, right, like should be living this life of austerity. And I deeply do not believe in that. And so I love that Mr. and Mrs. Weasley share my opinion. And are like, do you know what? This this money that we weren't expecting should absolutely be used on family bonding and fun. And so I want to bless them. Next week, Vanessa, we are going to be reading chapter two of book three, Aunt Marge's Big Mistake, through the theme of ignorance, which was suggested to us by Heather. So I'm looking forward to the story you tell about ignorance. Oh, and what an apt chapter to talk about ignorance. So thank you, Heather. It'll be perfect also when I do my 30-second recap. Well, just a few reminders before we give our thanks, everyone. We have a virtual Winnie the Pooh pilgrimage. We have a Pride and Prejudice pilgrimage. And you can find out more about both at NotSorryWorks.com. This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman, and we are edited and produced by AJ Uramas. Our engineer is Erica Wong, and our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. Thanks this week to Lois for their voicemail on Hope this week, to Lara Glass, Julia Argy, Gabby Iori, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Terkyle, Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of those whom they have loved and lost this week. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. in me.